0: Welcome to another episode of The Unlock Moment. I'm Dr. Gary Crothers. Before we get to this conversation, I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you in the more than 60 countries around the world who are listening and subscribing to The Unlock Moment and mentioning it to friends and colleagues who you think would find it interesting or insightful. We more than doubled our downloads in January compared with December and are on track to grow another 25% in February. Apple has just picked The Unlock Moment as one of its 20 recommended podcasts in the category of career moves. That's a huge deal. Honestly, thank you. We couldn't do it without each and every one of you. Today's episode is with one of the brightest minds I've had on the podcast to date. Dr. Ruth Gautian is ranked as the number one emerging management thinker in the world, and her award-winning book, The Success Factor, dives into the mindset and skill set of peak performers. If you want to learn how to excel, then you need to listen to what Dr. Ruth has learned from interviewing Olympians, astronauts, and Nobel Prize winners, and her memorable unlock moment that started her on the journey. Here's a few highlights of what's to come when Dr. Ruth Gautian joins me on the unlock moment.
1: He said six words that forever changed my life. He said, do something important, not just interesting. It's really quite fascinating. I am that kind of person that the more you tell me it can't be done, the more I need to prove to you how it will be done. (laughs) And that's happened over and over and over and over again. And I had people who thought I was crazy. I mean, who goes back to school at the age of 43 while working full-time with three young kids? So it's, it's insane. But there were people who said, there's nobody better to do it. And there's people who said, you must be out of your mind. And thank you very much to all the people who told me it can't be done. Because of you, I did it anyway. So the astronaut said to me, oh, Nobel Prize winner, now that's a high achiever. And I said, I told the astronaut, I said, you went up to space in a tin can, you're a high achiever. (laughs) And about a month or two later, I told the Nobel Prize winner this story. And he said to me, this is really fascinating. He said, I know a lot of Nobel Prize winners. We see each other all the time. The Nobel ceremony, there's other conferences. We all know each other, right? It's no big deal. But I've never met an astronaut. And I think they're incredible. Because if you surround yourself with other people who are like you, these high-achieving people, they raise the baseline of what is considered average. And that's what we want to do i think success can be learned i think we've never been taught it but i feel it can be learned
0: what do you think is the secret to success
1: (laughs) i think there's four of them (laughs) i think there's four elements of success but i think it really starts with
0: my name's dr gary Crotez, and i'm a coach podcaster and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things, Or brought about significant change in their life and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello dear listener and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. If you've been listening for a while, then you will have enjoyed my master locksmith conversations, with some of the world's leading coaches on the secrets of success and fulfillment and how to discover your own unlock moment. From Dr. Marshall Goldsmith and Dr. Mark Goulston to Morag Barrett, Gary Ridge and Micah Librant, these are some of my favorite conversations because I learn so much each time. Today's guest is someone I've been following for a while and hoping to bring on to the unlock moment. I'm so delighted that she said yes. Dr. Ruth Gautian, is a leading executive coach and trusted mentor. She was ranked as the number one emerging management thinker in the world by Thinkers50. She's also the chief learning officer in anesthesiology and the former executive director of the Mentoring Academy at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York. In addition to publishing in academic journals, she is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Psychology Today. Her research is about the mindset and skill set of peak performers, including Nobel laureates, astronauts, and Olympic champions, which she writes about in her award-winning book, The Success Factor, published early in 2022. I'm looking forward very much to hearing about Ruth's recipe for success in leadership and in life, reflecting all she's learned from high performers, and of course, her own Unlock Moments of remarkable clarity on her journey of lifelong learning. Dr. Ruth Gautian, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment.
1: Oh, that was such a beautiful introduction. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: I'm so delighted that you could come and you're, you're uh, dialing in from New York today. Is that right? I am. Fantastic. So I'm just North of London here in the UK. So we're going to come on and talk about your research into high achievers, but I'd love to hear more about your personal journey and how you found yourself in this space. So where did this all start for you?
1: I think it was always there and I didn't know it. Um, Uh, My first two degrees are in business, and like all good business students, I dipped my toe into finance and international banking. I did really well. I got tenure after nine months, which was unheard of, but I was miserable. I hated it. And after two years, I went back into academia. I had worked in higher ed since I was 18 years old, but I wanted to work with people who had more to lose because I wanted to help push that envelope forward. So I said, what's the most competitive program out there? And I realized that was an MD-PhD for students who get the dual degree. So for 22 years, I ran that program, one of the top programs in the country, in the United States. And during this time, something had started to develop. We were creating this program and running this program where students get both the MD and PhD degree simultaneously. It's extremely competitive. The program I ran had a three and a half percent acceptance rate. So really, you have to sacrifice so much just to be able to submit your application. And then we had something that is very similar to what's going on around the world right now, where people sacrificed so much, worked so hard, went partially way through it, and then they would drop out or step back or go into a different industry, something we call the leaky pipeline. And for years, we were trying to understand the leaky Pipeline. Why were people leaving? Books were written about it. Academic articles were written about it. Talks were given about it. And in the 22 years I was there, the needle hadn't moved. Nothing has changed. Now, Einstein said, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. And I was done with that. I was done with <laughs> trying the same thing. And I was more curious about those who were doing such exceptional work, because with those who were staying, they were incredible, but there were always those who floated to the top. I said, what if we could create more of those people? Wouldn't their output and their innovation more than make up for anybody who's leaving? How do we get more of those people? Well, I realized we didn't fully understand those people at the top. We were so focused on those who were leaving. So, at the age of 43, while working full-time and raising my family, I went back to school to study this exact question, and I got my doctorate.
0: It's so interesting. It's, it's, such a, it's such a personal thing for me, because a lot of listeners won't know that that's exactly the program that I did in the UK. So, it was very established in the US for a long period of time, a small and, and as you say, highly competitive program. When I, I did the same in the UK, there were, in the country, 12 places. So 10 were in Cambridge, two were in London. And I was one in my year group of, of 10 in Cambridge. Um, and and it was the same. I, I traveled halfway across the country and changed medical schools to do it. Um, and you had to do... So normally in, in the UK, you would do your clinical training. So your ward-based medical training would take you three years to do. And in the program that I did, you had to do all of that training in 18 months to fit oh. in the PhD as well. And I think I remember being... In my early 20s, probably, and, and thinking slightly naively, as you do, that I can do anything, and you're resilient, and you bounce, and all of that kind of stuff. And you have no idea how intensive that is, actually, um, and how choices that you make with the best intentions might just not work out to be to be okay. And, and the way you describe the leaky pipeline, I was that leaky pipeline. So, I was one of the students who ended up not continuing after the end of the program. I completed the program. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I've, I, I met such extraordinary people through that. So exactly as you described, the kinds of people who came through that program were really very unusual.
1: It's a different breed. It's just a different, it's a different breed. And I was fascinated. And for having been part of that environment for so long, and having been in higher education for so long, look, people work hard. And people achieve, but what these students were able to do was completely different. Their approach was completely different. And with all of these bright minds, nobody looked into that. Nobody looked at what makes them so different. It's not just their numbers, not just their GPA and their test scores. Their approach to problems and challenges was completely different. And that was my first aha moment of we don't understand the people in our programs and what makes them so great. So how can we reproduce that? And as scientists, it's all about reproducing your results. And we couldn't do that. Um, And that's one of the reasons that I needed to figure out what made them so great. So my doctoral dissertation was actually on, on that group, on the most successful physician scientists of our generation. And from there it snowballed over the years. Once I figured out what made those physician scientists so successful, I said, well, all right, I figured those people out. Now, what about other high achievers? Do they have the same four elements? And that's when I started interviewing the astronauts and the Olympic champions and the Fortune 500 CEOs and senior political officials. And that's when I realized that the astronaut was just like the Olympic champion figure skater. And that's when I realized that it's all the same and that success can be learned. But we were never taught how to be successful.
0: So bring me back into that first aha moment. So these are the brightest students, extraordinary students, in a room with, I'm sure, also extraordinary scientists around them. And nobody was going, We want to study this, we want to ask these questions. And you did. What was that moment when you said, I want to get, I want to look into this, we should be looking into this. Do you remember where you were, what was happening in that in that moment?
1: So this was gnawing at me for a very long time. I had an inkling of what some of the differences were, what what made them so unique. And I was talking to one of my mentors about this. His name is Dr. Burt Shapiro, and he ran all MD-PhD programs at the National Institutes of Health, and he is by far one of the smartest people I have ever met. And I was talking to him about this. Now, he had a national picture. He knew all the national data, and he said, you are going to look at this problem from a very different approach using a very different type of science. Now, originally, I was thinking, let's try to predict success. And he said six words that forever changed my life. He said, do something important, not just interesting. And with those words, it went from a single institutional study to a national study. Because trying to predict it would have been interesting, but there would have not been an impact. And when you're doing this kind of work, you want it to have an impact. And I'm forever grateful that he said those words to me. Do something important, not just interesting.
0: What was it in you that made that something you wanted to go for? What does does that say about you?
1: Um, It's really quite fascinating. I am that kind of person that the more you tell me it can't be done, the more I need to prove to you how it will be done. (laughs) And that's happened over and over and over and over again. And I had people who thought I was crazy. I mean, who goes back to school at the age of 43 while working full-time with three young kids? Um, And this is getting your doctorate, right? So you're taking all these high-level classes, and you're doing your research. And I had to read 100 pages per class per week. So it's, it's insane. Um, but there were people who said, there's nobody better to do it. And there's people who said, you must be out of your mind. And thank you very much to all the people who told me it can't be done. Because of you, I did it anyway.
0: I love it. Tell me about the characteristics of those high achievers.
1: So there's four of them. Um, and what I had realized, and, and I'll preface this by saying, I was quite frustrated by everything we had heard about habits of high achievers, right? Wake up at 5 a.m., read for eight hours a day, make your bed first thing in the morning. These are just so random, right? If I don't make my bed, I'm not going to be successful.
0: I definitely get digging up at 5 a.m.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I do make my bed. But, um, and what happens if you're a night owl and you don't go to bed till two or three o'clock in the morning? How are you going to wake up at 5 a.m. and be effective? So that didn't really make sense to me. And that's when I realized that we were not looking at this the right way. We were trying to copy other people's habits. And you can't copy and paste someone else's life into your own. So that's when I realized it's not habits, it's mindsets. And all the high achievers had four things in common. So the first one is they had tapped into not just what they're really good at, but they also really loved it. That's a unique combination, right? I was really good at finance, but I didn't love it. You, I'm sure if you got into an MD-PhD program, I am sure you were a brilliant science student, but you didn't love it anymore, right? There has to be that combination. You have to tap into not just what you're good at, but you would also do it for free if you could. It's the reason you wake up in the morning. It's the reason you can't quiet your mind at night. Now, the second one is how you approach challenges. When a high achiever is approached with a challenge, they never question if they can overcome it. Instead, they focus on how. And they ask themselves, What is the strategy I have not thought of yet? You have to add that word yet at the end. And by doing that, it's a completely different outlook because now you are in control. You're completely in control. You are the driver in this.
0: And is that about confidence or is it about control?
1: It's more than confidence. It's, I can figure this out. I can figure out how to do it. So for example... The Olympians were all supposed to compete in 2020, but then COVID came and they canceled the Olympics. Well, I didn't hear of Olympians dropping out. They couldn't get to the gym, they couldn't meet with their trainers, the nutritionists couldn't come. They figured out a way to make it work so that they can compete in 2021, right? They figured out a way. What is the strategy I haven't thought of yet? Because really, what you need to do is you need to fear not trying more than you fear failing. And by fearing not trying, you understand that failure is data. It's a way for you to learn, right? So that's the second one. The third one is you need to perfect your techniques. What worked for you early in your career, you cannot rest on your laurels once you start achieving some success. You have to go back to those basic techniques. They made you who you are, right? They have to be that muscle memory. And last but not least, you've heard of all the billionaires, right? The the Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Mark Cuban. They're known for reading three to eight hours a day. It's not reading that made them billionaires. It's opening their minds up to new knowledge. And by doing that, they're able to make connections that other people don't yet see. So they do it by reading, and all the listeners can certainly do it by reading, But you can also um, watch TED Talks, you can read articles, you can listen to podcasts such as this one. Hopefully, all the listeners are learning something new today. But it's about opening your mind up. And it's about surrounding yourself with people who can teach you something. So all these high achievers surrounded themselves with a team of mentors, people who believed in them more than they believe in themselves. So, those are the same four elements and you need to have all four of those in order to really advance your success.
0: I come back to a thing that you, you were saying about, you know, you can't copy it. And and I remember, I mean, I spent five years of my life in in Cambridgeshire in the UK, which is one of the very, very old universities and one of the kind of parts of the country where you are quite likely to bump into a Nobel scientist as you walk down the street. And I remember at the time that there were people that would walk around often in odd clothing, typically sandals, who were genuine genius. And there were probably five times as many people who were walking around in the same sandals because they knew that's what the geniuses walked around in and they wanted to be seen as that. Yeah. Um, and there's something in what you're saying that is about, it's about mindset more than it's about behavior, I think. Um, and I'm really interested because... I was reading The Success Factor before, before the conversation and this piece about you know what you did early in your career you're still doing now it's not necessarily that you're repeating the same daily habits although you might be and some people probably are but there might be something more intangible that you keep coming back to and I was reflecting on my own journey You know, I've done very very different things through my career but there are threads that, that are constant and one of them for me is continually asking questions and continually leading into like I, I like unsolvable problems you know I like I like things that that no one else has figured out and I don't know whether I can figure it out but I feel like if it's if it's solvable but nobody's done it yet that's exciting but I've done it in lots of different sorts of fields so it's not necessarily a you know eat the breakfast I eat you two or become a millionaire that kind of thing it's 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 something more subtle than that
1: very much so and for example it's not about waking up at 5 a.m it's about leveraging your peak performance hours that's the difference so it doesn't matter if you're a night owl or an early bird you need to figure out what your peak performance hours are when you are most focused when you can get more done in a short window of time and get into a state of flow a state of flow is you're not tired you're not hungry you don't need to go to the bathroom. You are appropriately challenged, time just flies by, and you are at your happiest. And you want to be able to get into that.
0: And what do you think of the kind of self-help books that give people recipes for, for life? Are they, I mean, are they helpful?
1: Are they a hindrance? What do you think? If they work so well, why do new books keep coming out? Interesting. There is a book
0: that I'm very impressed by the author who wrote. Miracle Morning, um, because he sold very many more copies than I sold in my book. Um, but I do, <laughs> I do worry that, that there'll be some people for whom it really works, and there'll be other people for whom it doesn't, because it doesn't fit their needs. You know, and there's a big part for me about understanding your needs. I, I love what you're saying about your peak performance hours. How would, how would somebody know, you know, when their peak performance hours are?
1: You know when you are the most focused, when you have the most energy, right? I happen to be one of those morning persons. I do wake up early in the morning, and I have a slow on-ramp, but once I'm on that ramp, I go, and I can get more done by 11 a.m. than I can the rest of the day. So it's about optimizing those hours. You'd want to do it with deep focus work during your peak performance hours. For me, that's a lot of writing and editing. I don't do Zoom meetings or podcast interviews during my peak performance hours. It doesn't require that same level of focus, right? So I can do that in the afternoon when I am a bit more sluggish, right? If I, if I use the wrong word, it's not the end of the world, right? But using the wrong word when you write means you have to go back and edit it later when you look at it when you are in that, that deep focus. So you really want to be able to figure out what that is. And you know, you just know when you're more focused and optimize
0: it. I love this piece about making connections that other people don't yet see, because exactly what you said, when you've met all these people in very, very different walks of life, but high achievers in them, and you're seeing these commonalities between them. So what does that look like for you? When when did you start to notice those connections that other people hadn't seen? And what did that feel like?
1: One of the things that I'm most proud about this book, um, I read a lot of books. I read about seventy books a year, and a lot of them are business books. And business books start to get repetitive. And the reason they get repetitive is very often they're based on anecdotal experiences. What I am most proud of is that my book is based on the research that I have done. And it was a quite a scientific approach on how to do this. So I think that is something that makes it different. And that is what has allowed me to see themes, right? Because I do qualitative research, which is all about talking to people, peeling apart those layers and pulling them back, and then seeing the themes that emerge. And that's why I was able to do that. And we have something that we call data saturation which means you know what the answer is going to be. You ask the question, you know what the answer is going to be. The story might be a little bit different if it's an astronaut or an Olympian or a Nobel Prize winner, but you know roughly what they're going to say. And that started happening. And it didn't, it didn't matter if it was an NBA champion or a Nobel Prize winner. When that kept happening over and over and over again, I, I said, I think I figured this out. I really figured this out. And at that point, I was just collecting stories. So now when I interview them, and I ask my question, and they tell me their answer, and I start chuckling. They said, what's so funny? I said, I knew you were going to say that. And they said, well, how did you know? I said, because I've interviewed over 100 people. (laughs) I know the answer. Um, They said, really? I said, yes.
0: (laughs) Who surprised you most of all of the people you interviewed?
1: That had to be the most decorated winter Olympian, Apollo Anton Ono. Um, He did short track speed skating. He has, I think, seven, eight, nine medals. Um, Talking to him was like talking to a colleague. He was exceptionally well-read on all of the areas of um, social science and psychology. We were talking about flow. He read the book. I was not expecting that. And we were able to have almost an academic conversation, which geeked me out. And, and I loved. And I was so not expecting that. I also was not expecting him to tell me that his medals were in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer. That shocked me.
0: <laughs> what, did, what did that tell you about what happens with high achievers when they achieve their goals?
1: Only two of them had their medals on display. Um, which I thought was very odd, right? How do you not wear your medal around your neck all day long? They said it was never about the medal. That was a goal. I met the goal. Now it's on to the next goal, chapter in my life, not the entire story. And I thought that was fascinating. But it made sense to me because as I thought about it, I don't know of a single Nobel Prize winner who quit doing science just because they won the Nobel. If anything, they doubled down and they leveraged that platform to do bigger things. And that's what the Olympians were doing. They were leveraging their platform to do bigger things. Scott Hamilton, the Olympic champion figure skater, turned all of his winnings. He actually gave away all of his medals to the USA Figure Skating Hall of Fame. And now he is raising money for cancer research. He's a three-time cancer survivor. So it's always on to the next goal and leveraging the, the spotlight you had from that big win to help you achieve your next goal.
0: A friend of mine from the professional ballroom dancing world, Joanne Clifton, was in, she came on the Unlock Moment around about a year ago. Um, and in her interview, one of the things she talked about was what she thought in her head, standing on the top step step of the podium at the world championship. And she said, what went through my mind was, is that it? And it had taken her 30 years probably of her career from the age of four or five, when she started dancing to her mid thirties, when she won the world championship. And she stood there and she went, is that it? And that's, that's almost the last time she danced. I think she danced a little bit after that. And then she went, what's my next thing? And she's now um, a musical theatre and, and, and television star. She went and did Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing on the Stars here in here in the UK. But in that moment, you know, and and you see pictures, and she said, "There's a picture of me standing on that podium. You can see in my eyes that that's what's in my head." But up until that moment, there was that drive, you know. So it's it's almost it's it's strange in a way because these are people who are similar to one another, but in many ways, very different from most people that, you know, in the world. Um, do you think they're born or made?
1: Both. I think both. And I think it has a lot to do with your environment as well. So look, you could have all the advantages in the world and all the skill in the world and all the talent in the world. But if you are sitting on the couch doing Netflix marathons, you're not going to achieve that success, right? And we saw that with so many people when the pandemic hit. They just found a seat in the couch and didn't move, right? While other people are always thinking about their next goal, the next goal, their next goal. And even if they don't have any advantages, they still find how to leverage those advantages that they do have. And we all have some sort of advantage, right? If Oprah Winfrey can make it and be who she is and come on, talk about, you know, she is somebody who did not have any advantages growing up at all. And look at, look at what became of, of her life. Um, she learned how to leverage what she was good at. She was always great at public speaking. She did it at church, right? Um, so I think they can, there's something inside of you, you have to tap into your intrinsic motivation to figure that out. Um, if your readers want to do that, your readers, your listeners want to do that first step and figure out what it is that they really love to do. What is that intrinsic motivation? What they would do for free if they could. I invite them to, I invite all the listeners to do what I call a passion audit that helps you differentiate between what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing, what you would do for free if you could. And I offer some trigger questions to get you to think about what those things might be. So they can just download one for free on my website, ruthgotian.com slash passion audit, ruthgotian.com slash passion audit.
0: We will put it in the show notes. I think, I think that's really, really interesting. And it plays to question in my mind. When I, I wrote my book, the idea mindset is, is self reflection in the search of clarity. Um, that does play to this idea of high achievers. And I talk about clarity of thought, clarity of decision, clarity of action. And something that I've really noticed in, in high performers that I've worked with who in business or in sports or in the arts. A lot of them, but not all of them actually, but a lot of them have really remarkable clarity. And that brought me to this place of the unlock moment and and that moment when suddenly you, you just know. And when you know, you stop doubting it. And when you stop doubting it, you stop being sort of buffeted by other people's opinion on what you should be doing. Well, you should be getting up at five in the morning, even though you're a night owl, and you should be eating the breakfast I eat and all of that kind of thing. What do you notice about the level of clarity of thinking in the high performers that you've interviewed
1: it took a while to get there they had to dig through a lot of murky waters um but they surrounded themselves with people who could offer them perspective because what happens is when we're working on something we're we're so deep inside the jar we can't even read the label So having somebody with that 60,000 foot view offers perspective that's very much needed. That clarity doesn't happen overnight, but you try some things, some work, some don't work. You think about that. Remember, every failure is data. It's how to improve it, right? Um, so surrounding yourself with the, with the right people, with a, what I call a team of mentors will really help you succeed because they could offer you the ideas, the perspectives, the challenges, the safeguards, the gutter rails, the, the network, whatever it is that you want to call it, um, to help you achieve that. And they're going to make sure that you're always on that liminal edge where that's where the great learning happens.
0: And what's the story of somebody that you've interviewed who's, who's had that team around them and that's really helped them to succeed, do you think?
1: Every single one. Every single one had a team of mentors, and that's why I'm um, so fascinated by this idea that you need to surround yourself. In fact, it's uh, the topic of the book that I'm writing right now is all about mentoring, because these are, it's your guide by your side. It's, it's somebody who helps you see beyond the horizon. They are able to unlock things within you you didn't even know existed. And they will push you and they will help you. And you want not just those senior people, right? We always thought it has to be somebody who's older and wiser and in the corner office. That is no longer the contemporary thinking. That's actually quite limited thinking. Instead, you want a team of people at different levels, people who are senior to you, peer mentors, and people who are junior to you, because you can always learn from someone. There's something to be learned from everyone. Um, and I do wanna I do wanna offer your listeners if they want to start developing their own mentoring team and they have questions about who are the types of people who should be on it, um, there's another resource they can download that has some of those prompts for them. And that's ruthgotian.com slash mentoring team.
0: Amazing. I think it's so valuable these these additional resources because I often have people who go into the show notes and, and, and pick them up. And I encourage listeners to do that because there's, there's so much additional richness that, that you can get out oh, of it. Oh, and
1: I, I've, got the, I've got the biggest one that I'm saving for last.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm already excited. When, when I was doing my dancing training for, I, I danced in the age of about four, again, you know, all the way through when I was at school um, and then later on turned professional. And it was only actually in the last few years of my career when, when we were training in Italy. And I really understood Something about what you're describing with mentoring, because our coach in Italy, who was a dancing coach, but also quite a mental coach. And he said, you know, when I was a dancer and competitor myself, I was good, but I wasn't the best in the world. But he said, "I, I do think I'm the best in the world at turning people into world champions. And in his school, in this little industrial estate in a tiny village north of Bologna in Italy, I think across the different disciplines and age bands and different things, they had about 135 world championships in that school. And you would walk into this un- unassuming corrugated iron kind of shed. And inside was a sprung maple floor. And of the top 12 cups in the world, six were in that room. And they were all trained by him. And nobody, you wouldn't know outside. because it wasn't, it wasn't high profile. There wasn't a website. You didn't know. And, but people were flying in from Russia, from Canada, from Eastern Europe to come and train with this guy. And, and what he did, one of the things that I remember he, he was doing was forming that team. And we'd come through a, a system where you would go and take lessons with the former world champion because it seemed so obvious that you should be learning from the person who'd done it before. And he said, well, why would you do that? Because just because they won it doesn't mean they can teach it. Yeah. And I thought, well, for all of those degrees and PhDs and things I did along the way, I'd never figured that out. And it took somebody else saying to me, you just need to see the world in a slightly different way um, and suddenly things will become clear. And I, I never felt so ill-educated as I did when I was talking to him and, and and he was saying simple things that suddenly became clear. And for me, that's really the power of effective mentorship and nothing to do with whether or not he could, I mean, he did happen to be able to dance better than me as well, but it wasn't about, it was about the fact that he knew what to say at the right time. And one of the most powerful things he ever said to me was, you're never going to be the world champion. And I went, okay. And he said, and that's not a criticism. That's just a, you know, I've got 10 people in this room and one of them probably will be, but it won't be you. Um, but you can be very good in this way and to this level, but let go of feeling the pressure of not being world champion because it's unrealistic. And it helped me to let go of something in my mind, actually. And I thought, looking back, what a bold thing to say to actually get somebody in the right headspace to achieve their best was let go of the unachievable in your world um, and, and go for something that, that is achievable. It's very interesting.
1: I think you need to give him a shout out. What's his name?
0: He's called Davide Cacciari. And um, in, in my book, The Idea of Mindset, I talk quite a lot about my experiences in, in, in the dance world. So Davide and Olga run this school in, in Italy. It's called Dean Diablo. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I've I've worked with lots of very experienced coaches in the executive coaching space and senior business leaders. I've rarely met somebody with as much natural wisdom. As him uh, for for high performance, actually. I
1: love that. I love that. Takes a special person.
0: Tell me more about what drives these high performers that you've talked to and worked with. Were they driven by mission? Were they driven by ambition? Driven by different things? Was there commonality?
1: I'll tell you something. I, I had the honour of interviewing Dr. Tony Fauci. Dr. Tony Fauci led the COVID response in the United States. Now, this was not the first pandemic he's been dealing with. He, it, he was the architect behind the president's plan um, to fight HIV and AIDS. And he dealt with SARS and Zika, um, Ebola. So by the time COVID came along, this was not his first rodeo. And I interviewed him pre-COVID, and I said, Dr. Fauci, of all the infectious diseases that exist, how did you know which ones to focus on? And he said to me, I wanted to do something that would impact millions of people I will never have the opportunity to meet. And if you think about it, that is what my mentor said to me do something important, not just interesting. So all of these high achievers, what made them so successful and why they made it as people who would be eligible for my study was that these were people who created a paradigm shift in the way we do things, think about things, or process things. They were not social media influencers. These people really changed our behavior, changed the way we do things for good, for good. And I think that's something that that we need to keep in mind. So it goes back to that do something important, not just interesting.
0: You remind me of a conversation I had with Seth Goldenberg on The Unluck Moment, uh, who's, a, who's a U.S. thought leader and, and particularly around asking better questions. Um, and he said he was talking about the kind of how do you figure out what you want to do and he said don't think about what's the biggest thing you can do or what's the most exciting thing you could do he said think about what's worth doing and it's just different different angles on on thinking differently about what what success really is and people who don't have success often think that success is the oscar or the nobel prize or the winning the race or whatever and actually if you if you talk to those people it, do they? Do they if, if you say to them, what is success for you, is that what they say, achievement of the goal, or is it something else?
1: They don't even think they are successful. So every time I would say, you know, Dr. So-and-so, you came up on my list as a high achiever, I'd like to interview you for my research. They said, I'm not a high achiever. And I would say, you won the Nobel Prize. If you're not a high achiever, what does that say about the rest of us? Now, what was so fascinating was that When my book came out, I had a launch party for the people who were in the book. So I knew all of them, but they didn't know each other. So this was the opportunity for them to get to meet each other. So one of the astronauts texted me about an hour or two before the the launch party. And he said, oh, will Dr. Fauci be there? Because Dr. Fauci's in the book. And I said, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, Omicron just came out. I think he's a little busy right now. I'm not expecting him to show up. I said, but this Nobel Prize winner will be there. And I told him who it was. So the astronaut said to me, Nobel Prize winner. Now that's a high achiever. And I said, I told the astronaut, I said, you went up to space in a tin can. You're a high achiever. (laughs) And about a month or two later, I told the Nobel Prize winner this story. And he said to me, this is really fascinating. He said, I know a lot of Nobel Prize winners. We see each other all the time. The Nobel ceremony, there's other conferences. We all know each other, right? It's no big deal. But I've never met an astronaut. And I think they're incredible. And that's when I realized that your environment dictates what you consider to be average, what you consider to be baseline, what you consider to be normal. For the astronaut, going to space was no big deal because he knows dozens of people who have done that. It's just what you do, right? The Nobel Prize winner doing that award-winning level science is no big deal because a lot of other people do it that he knows. But when you have that perspective where someone else can see it, right, that's when you realize, oh, wait, maybe it is a big deal. But that's why your environment is so important, because if you surround yourself with other people who are like you, this high achieving, these high-achieving people, they raise the baseline of what is considered average, and that's what we want to do. That's how we're going to get to my original goal was to improving that end of the spectrum, those people who are so incredible. That's how we're going to get more of them. Put them together in a group. That raises the baseline of average.
0: That's fascinating. It's so your book, The Success Factor. How do you want people to think differently in their own lives when they've read the book?
1: I think success can be learned. I think we've never been taught it, but I feel it can be learned. And one of the things that you said earlier on was that, you know, people try what's in the book and it doesn't work and then they get frustrated and now they have to buy another book. I'm a, An academic and also a practitioner. And I know that we learn differently. What works for you is not going to work for me. We're just different people. So, what I had to do was I can't just teach the four elements. I then have to teach you how to implement it in your own life. And I can't just say, here's the one way to do it. I had to create a buffet of options so that I can pick what works for me. You can pick what works for you. And if it works for you now, but the next time you have a transition in your life, a new child, a move, a new partner, a new job, a pandemic, you might need to change things because what worked for you in the past is not working for you again. So instead of running to buy another book, I just put a whole bunch of options for each of the four elements so that you can pick and choose what works for you now and you can go back to it. When it's not working and you need to try something new, instead of getting frustrated and aggravated, you should be inspired because there's something else you can try, right? And all of these have been tested and backed by science.
0: I love it. What do you think is the secret to success?
1: <laughs> I think there's four of them. <laughs> I think there's four elements of success, but I think it really starts um, With figuring out what it is that you're good at and that you love to do. And don't be afraid to ask for help. People want to help. They just need to be given that opportunity. They can't, you can't expect them to know what you need help with. Look, my contact list did not exist with astronauts and Nobel Prize winners and Olympic champions before. But I knew I needed to reach those people. And I asked people for help. I said, I want to reach this Olympian. I want to reach this Nobel Prize winner. I want to reach this astronaut. Do you know somebody who knows this person who could introduce me? Because most of them were through introductions. I would say about 95%. And that's what you want to get to. And then you have to know how to talk to people. Right, if everything you're doing is transactional, you're not going to get very far in life. You have to give more than you receive. And here's that that big bonus one I I told I told you that I was going to save for the end, because this is the one that's the most popular. Every time I write about how to talk to strangers, right? I mean, people who are in the intro, I write for Harvard Business Review and Forbes, et cetera, those articles go viral which leads me to believe this is an area that people really need help with. And one of the ways I think to overcome it is to have sentence starters. These are benign conversation starters where you're not talking about work, but you can talk about other things and it really kicks off a conversation. So I put together 13 of my favorite conversation starters. And if your listeners want, they can download it at ruthgotian.com slash conversation.
0: Fantastic. I will put them all in in the show notes. So what's coming up next for you? You've got another book in the works.
1: Yes. I am co-writing a book on mentoring, uh, which will be out in spring 2024. This is everything I have always wanted about mentoring in one book so instead of getting one chapter here and one chapter in somebody else's book and here's the article it's all in one book um and i'm co-writing it with somebody who's in the uk so this is this is fun and i'm practicing my british english writing
0: that's very exciting yes we we, we do practice in, in in a couple of complex ways whereas you you in the us are all with the c we're with the c and an s sometimes so just 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 to help confuse everybody uh how can people find out more about you where can they find you on online and on social media
1: sure so my website is ruthgotian.com that's r-u-t-h g like gary o t like tom i a n like nancy ruthgotian.com all the social media is just my name ruth Gotian, and i write for a lot of those journals that you heard about um probably around six articles a month at minimum. And I post links to them as they come out on my LinkedIn. So um, if people want to know when they come out, and they're all tips, all of them are how to take theory and put them into practice in order to make you more successful. So just go find me there.
0: Fantastic, thank you so much. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For executive coach, educator, and author Ruth Gotian, It was when her mentor said to her, do something important, not just interesting. That aha moment fueled her career of continual discovery. And I'm so delighted that we've been able to tap into her experience and wisdom today. Ruth, it has truly been a delight. Thank you so much for joining me today here on The Unlock Moment. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening
1: and join me again soon here on the unlock moment.